Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video teaching series, Our Motives from God's Perspective, Part 3. This is lesson number 10 in Part 3, and uh, we've been talking about the the delivered life, the life that has pure motives, the life that's been delivered from self and from flesh and is now being lived, our life that's being lived because Christ lives is living in us, and uh, we are living uh, by the faith of the Son of God being lived through us. We're going to talk in this particular lesson about Paul's statement that he is travailing in birth again. That's Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Paul was referring to the post-salvation crucifixion experience in Galatians 4.19. Uh, he declared to the Galatians that there was some experience with God that he travailed in birth again for them to receive, that they would that would cause Christ to be formed in them. So again, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Uh Let's, we're going to talk about what does that mean? The Amplified reads this way, My little children, for whom I am again suffering birth pangs, until Christ is completely and permanently formed or molded within you. The New Living Translation says, Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. They will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. Uh, the complete Jewish Bible 2016 edition says, My dear children, I am suffering the pains of giving birth to you all over again, and this will go on until the Messiah takes shape in you. And then finally, the Good News translation says, My dear children, once again, just like a mother in childbirth, I feel the same kind of pain for you until until Christ's nature is formed in you. So it's not, <laughs> it's not Christ, the person that is being formed or shaped in us, but it's Christ's effect on us as a person. The Bible says that we are to be, be conformed to his image, that he wants the inside of us to be like the inside of him as the son of God. He wants our character our motives, our passion, our burden, our our love to all be his. He doesn't want it to be like his. Big difference. He doesn't want it to be like his. He wants all of that to be his, made evident in us, living in us, ruling in us, and guiding us and all of that. Paul, uh, Paul was not feeling the pain of sorrow or remorse wasn't grieving in that sense but he was but, but he was feeling the pain of progress and the desire to birth something in them the word uh, the greek word translated travail and birth means to ex- experience the pains of partruition the uh, uh, definition of the word partruition according to the medicinenet.com is childbirth the process of delivering the baby and placenta from the uterus to the vagina to the outside world, 
also called labor and delivery. Partruition uh, comes from the Latin word partrui, partrui, partruire, whatever that is, P-A-R-T-U-R-I-R-E, to be ready or to bear young, uh, to be ready to bear young, and is related to partus, the past participle of pare, uh, which means to produce. So Paul, Paul was feeling the burden, the desire, the ministry, the prayer, the, the teaching, the, the urgency to pro, see, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ manifested as living in them by his character, his faith, his motive, his life, his priorities, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Again, Thayer says the word travail in birth means to feel the pains of childbirth to travail. Now, there is another word here of very critical importance. He said, travail in birth again. Okay? According to Thayer's, this means anew, a renewal or repetition of the action. So, he, Paul is saying, this isn't the first time that I have travailed in birth for you. I have travailed in birth for you to be born spiritually. But now I'm travailing in birth again until you become fully the person God has intended for you to be. Wow. And he said, I'm travailing a birth Again, until, the word until is actually a translation of two different Greek words. One means up to a certain point as a preposition of extent denoting the terminus, according to Strong. Stayer says it means as far as or until. And the other is the Greek word, uh, according to Strong's, it means at which place, where. So there is a place and time that Paul is going to travail in birth again. So there there was a definite expectation of something that was supposed to happen in them because of Paul's prayer and ministry to them. His love for them, praying for them with urgency that this would happen. Now, that Christ would be formed in you. The word... Christ, of course, is the anointed one. And we know from John 1 that the word, the logos was, uh, is God and the logos was God and the logos was with God and the logos, uh, first John, uh, 114, the logos was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of, as of the only begotten the Father, full in grace and truth. So, the logos was then uh, what uh, the logos was the sperm and the seed from God the Father that impregnated the egg of Mary in her womb, and that body was then formed from that union of man and God, and the body was formed, and then uh, the child was born of a virgin, someone had, a woman that had never known a man, and he grew. And then he ministered, and then he was crucified, dead, buried, and ascended into heaven. So Christ 
being formed in us is not talking about the man Christ being formed in us. That's not possible. He's sitting on the throne of the universe, according to Ephesians chapter 1 and other places. So when Paul said he was travailing at birth again for Christ to be formed in us, the forever settled word, the logos, the plan of God, the will of God, the purpose of God, all of that, everything that made God God from a, a, a thought standpoint, from a, pers- uh, a perspective standpoint, a, a principle standpoint, a character standpoint, all of that was included in logos. And then the spirit of God came upon that man, that logos made flesh, that and anointed it. But he didn't stop there. Jesus said, I am in my father and my father's in me. So the, the spirit of the father came on him and anointed him. But the spirit of the father also indwelt him as the only visible representation of the invisible God, according to Paul in several places, especially Colossians 1. And so if he is the image of the invisible God, then that Physical being is not what Paul was travailing in birth to be formed in us. He wanted, and we'll look at other verses here in a little bit, about the mind of Christ, the, the thoughts, the motives, the attitude, the, the spirit, the submission, the obedience, the, the commitment, uh, the sacrificial attitude, all of that, the, the servant's attitude. And he said, you, uh, uh, I, I've come to serve you. He said that. You're not serving me, I'm serving you. And those that are mine will do the same thing I've done. So this is really critical to get here. This is not talking about coming to a place that we are experts in somebody's doctrine. It's not talking about being religiously faithful to God. This is talking about the plan, the purpose, the will of God, the character of God, all of that being fully formed and developed in us. Paul said in Colossians 3, verse 1, set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. And then verse 3, he said, but ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. That's what God wants for us. It's Christ, Colossians 1, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The word is in us. And the Spirit is in us. Those are the two key elements that made up Christ. The Word, the Logos of God, and the Spirit of God. Both of those things in us, in the same relationship, in us as uh, it was when he walked the face of the earth, which is the, 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 the Word of God is being manifested and made known to the world by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is manifesting, uh, is, is uh, uh, in harmony with the Word of God. Just like my body and my soul have to be together for me to be alive and one, you can say, well, you can go to a funeral and say, that's his body. Well, that's not me. That's only the body. My soul is someplace else. So when all of this comes together, all that made him Christ comes together in us and abides in us, then we're fully formed and Paul has reached the place and time that he's praying for. Now, he said he travailed and birthed again for us till Christ be formed in us. The word form means to fashion. It's morphu. 
It came, it's uh, derived from the same base as morphe, which means to shape, which means shape or nature. And it come, both of them come from the, from, uh, the base of the word miros, which is, uh, portion or share. And Thayer says it means part or part due or assigned to one, lot or destiny. So Christ being formed in us means he is creating us and shaping us into what he's intended for us to be so that he can fulfill through us his pre-planned part for us, his destiny for us. Vine says the word means this, not to the external and transient, it refers not to the external and transient, but to the inward and real. It is used in Galatians 4.19, which we're reading, expressing the necessity of a change in character and conduct to correspond with the inward spiritual condition so that there may be moral conformity to Christ. Amen. <laughs> The same Greek word according to vines is uh, used in another place, speaking of form. It denotes the special or characteristic form or feature of a person or thing. An excellent definition of the word is that, that of Guilford. And I'm reading vines quoting Guilford, whoever that is. Uh, Morphe is, the, is therefore properly the nature or essence not in the abstract, but as actually actually subsisting in the individual and retained as long as the individual itself exists. Thus, in the passage before us, uh, in the form of God, uh, is the divine nature actually and inseparably subsisting in the person of Christ. For the interpretation of the form of God, it is sufficient to say that it includes the whole nature and essence of deity and is inseparable from them since they could not, could not, could have no actual existence without it. And that it does include, not include in itself anything accidental or, or separable, such as particular modes of manifestation or conditions of glory and majesty, which may at one time be attached to the form or at another separated from it. So the true meaning of Morphe in the expression form of God, which we will read in a few minutes in Philippians 2, is confirmed by the recurrence in the corresponding phrase form of a servant. It is universally admitted that the two phrases are directly antithetical and that form must therefore have the same sense in both. So what is the form of a servant? The attitude of a servant. The... the. Uh, the willingness to serve of a servant, the humility of a servant, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It is the will of God for this to be formed in us, for Christ's Christ to be formed in us. Whatever Christ is in the earth to us today, because the person of Christ, the body of the man Christ Jesus, sits on the throne of the universe. Now, the church is the body of Christ on the earth. Shouldn't God be able to expect that the body of Christ in the earth would be consistent with and in harmony with 
what the head was and is as Christ. What he was as Christ on the earth and what he is now as the head of Christ on the earth, the head of the body. Shouldn't the body be consistent with the head? Shouldn't the body be in harmony with the head? Shouldn't the body be in submission to the head? My hand does not do what it wants. If it, if I had a sickness or disease or a condition that causes the hand to do what it wanted to, it would be outside of the control of my mind. But the fact that I'm sitting here and my hands don't move except as my brain consciously or subconsciously tells them to move. My whole body is in submission to my mind, my head. My mind thinks because my head says, the head, me, the soul of me says, think. My heart beats because the head sends signals to beat even without me thinking about it. I breathe without thinking about it because the mind says, you need a breath. I eat because I, my head says, you are running low on energy, you need something to eat. So everything must be submitted to the head. So this must be formed in us. The preposition in, uh, the Greek preposition translated in, and Christ be formed in you, uh, It this preposition denotes a fixed position in place, time, and state, or by implication, instrumentality, uh, or a relation of rest. So that Christ be formed in you, that Christ is in a relation of rest. This word uh, in is often used in compounds with substantially the same import, rarely with verbs of motion, and then not to indicate direction except elliptically by a separate and different preposition. So Christ be formed in you. This is a destination and a situation where there would be a condition in existence, a fixed position, a relation of rest. could also be the instrumentality to help us get to that fixed position. But in this particular state that Christ be formed in us, it is Christ, the head external to us and the spirit of Christ within us that, uh, that uh, is working with the word of God to form in us all of these things that are necessary for us to be conformed into his image. Now, another place to look at this would be Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Uh, Paul said, I, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Uh, we Pentecostals uh, have a tendency to focus on having a clean heart, and I have no question that a clean heart is very important. A clean heart is important to our relationship with God. But our growth and change is not a product of a clean heart. 
An unclean heart can prevent growth and prevent change, can prevent us from becoming what Christ would have us to be, could prevent Christ from being formed in us. All of that's possible. But Paul said, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the renewing of your thinking, by thinking Christ's thoughts. That's how we're supposed to grow in God. Now, this is a uh, this is an amazing word, transform here. It is the Greek word from which we get the English word metamorphosis. And if you studied any kind of biology in high school, uh, you probably under, remember the term, whether you can specifically define it or not. You can divide it, uh, define it, but you, uh, you know that it has something to do with butterflies. Yes. So God, who created the butterfly and how a caterpillar could become a butterfly, takes that as a natural example that we are aware of. How a, a caterpillar that is so deliberate and slow crawling along a branch and constantly eating uh, with all of those legs spins a silk cocoon around itself. And over a period of time, and I, I didn't have the time to look that up, I don't remember. It's more than a few weeks. I, it's probably less than several months. Uh, but during that period of time, changes take place in that the body of that caterpillar. The cocoon is not the caterpillar. It's the circumstances and the situation and the condition that allows the transformation to take place for the caterpillar. And inside that cocoon, according to God's divine plan, this creepy, crawly caterpillar becomes a beautiful butterfly. Because that caterpillar that looked like it had no backbone and no rigidity at all sprouts wings that are beautifully rigid and supports that body to fly. Now, uh, I've had a couple, been places a couple times with my wife where there was a, a, a butterfly museum, a living, living butterflies. And you'd go in there and they had, they make very, make sure that you went in and you were very careful. You didn't step on anything. And also leaving, they, they would have a room. I, one place we went and had a room. You left the area where the butterflies were. You came in this, de- this, this uh, airlock room. And you and an attendant made sure there were no butterflies on you before you left that area. Otherwise, they didn't want, they didn't want the butterflies being carried out of there. But you could walk among them and watch them fly and, and take pictures. I love to take pictures of them. It is so difficult to imagine that that beautiful butterfly at one point was actually a caterpillar. <coughs> That one flying so gracefully was a creepy crawly thing that could that was really, really slow going from point A to point B. But in the little bit I have studied about metamorphosis, uh, I've come to understand that uh, there's a struggle that takes place. And after the wings are 
fully formed, it's not time to come out of the cocoon. The first step of the process is for the wings to be formed where there were no wings. But I've been told, I haven't done it, that if you cut that cocoon open and let that butterfly out, even with its wings, it can't fly or it won't fly for but for a few moments because it does not have the strength to be able to support itself in flight, so it dies. So the first step is the forming of the wings, but then there's the struggle inside that cocoon to learn how to use the wings and to gain the strength to use the wings. And I have read that it it is, is said by scientists that the amount of strength that it takes for the new butterfly to be able to fly and fulfill its purpose is equivalent to the length of time that it stays in that cocoon pressing against, forcing itself against the, the walls of that cocoon, exercising within that tight space as it builds up its strength pressing against barriers, pushing, 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 building up strength so that when it finally gets strong enough, there's a, a breach in the cocoon and then it's able to work its way out and fly away and do fine. Now, God chose that word to define to us what it means to be transformed. The word transform in the Greek means to transform literally or figuratively, to metamorphose. Uh, Thayer says it means to change into another form, to transform, to transfigure. It was this is the same Greek word that was used of Christ's transfiguration on the mountain when he was there with Moses and Elijah. Christ's appearance was changed and was resplendent with divine brightness on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. So God, in his love and mercy, puts us in confined places for a season to change us, first of all, into a different form. And then, even after we're changed in that different form, for us to be able to struggle within the the confines of, of that very carefully crafted by him set of circumstances that keep us from using our wings. We've got wings. God, you gave me wings. Why won't you let me fly? Why did you give me wings and then not provide me a place to fly? I've heard similar concepts from people before. Why did God give me that? Nah, he won't let me use them. Oh, you're using them. You just don't know it. You're building up strength that when he does release you to fully be who he's called you to be and use, be used like he plans to use you, that you would have the right motives and the right strength. Christ would be formed in you and you'd be able to survive. Remember again, the very first verse here, Romans chapter 12, verse one, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It is reasonable 
for God to put me in a cocoon of circumstances. It is reasonable for God to let me be restricted. It is reasonable for me to go through the difficulty of changing forms inside that thing. It's reasonable for him to leave me there to struggle till I build up strength so that when he releases me, I can survive and thrive spiritually and eternally in that new form and that new place. Uh, the Wikipedia says of metamorphosis, it's a biological process by which an animal physically develops after birth or hatching. So Paul says, I travail in birth again for you till Christ be formed in you. Okay? That's a transformation. That's a metamorphosis. Uh, and then Paul told us that we should be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing our mind. And the word conformed means to take on an outward appearance that does not fit with what you say is on the inside. That's it. You can read that exact statement, uh, almost word for word from, uh, from Weiss' expanded translation of Romans 12, verse 2, that we should not take on an outward form that is in agreement with the fads and fashions of this world, which is inconsistent with who what we say is on the inside, but that we should be conformed to his image, that we should be transformed so that we can conform to his image. For what purpose? That we might... Prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. These are not three types of the will of God. They're three characteristics of the will of God. And we go through all of that for the purpose of proving the will of God. Finding, knowing, and being able to have the strength then to do the will of God. So all this transformation process is about getting us to be able to do the will of God to the degree that it pleases God. Paul declared to the Galatians that he was travailing in birth again until they were crucified under the world and the maturity of their relationship with Christ would be manifested for all to see. He was expecting to see them transformed and he wasn't going to quit praying for them and ministering to them until it happened. And he had faith in God that it was going to happen. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that you have someone in your life as a, a man of God, as a covering in your life, as a pastor in your life. I don't care if you are the greatest preacher in the whole world. I pray you have somebody in your life that you answer to, somebody that will pray for you and will pray for you to become fully all that God wants you to be. I pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I loose the spirit of grace upon you and me that we might fully come to this place in God. In Jesus' name, amen.